Chapter Seven of Ruth Fielding at Briarwood Hall. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lynn Thompson. Ruth Fielding at Briarwood Hall or Solving the Campus Mystery by Alice B. Emerson. Chapter Seven The Upedes. It was all so new and strange to Helen and Ruth that neither had considered the possibility of homesickness. Indeed, how could they be homesick? There was too much going on at Briarwood Hall for the newcomers to think much of themselves. The plump girl next to Ruth seemed of a friendly disposition, for when she had satisfied the first cravings of her appetite, oh, long before she came to the cup custard, she said, Which are you, Cameron or Fielding? I'm Stone, Jenny Stone. Ruth told her their names and asked in return, Are you on our corridor too? I know you are rooming in the same building as Helen and I. Yes, said the fat girl. I'm in a quartet with Mary Cox, Luella Fairfax, and Belle Tingley. Oh, you'll see plenty of us, said Heavy. And I say, you're going to the Upede meeting tonight, aren't you? Why, yes. Do you all belong? "'Our quartet, sure,' said the plump girl in her off-hand way. "'We'll show you some fun, and I say.' "'Well,' asked Ruth, "'how often are they going to send you boxes from home?' "'Boxes from home?' repeated the girl from the Red Mill. "'Yes, you know. "'You can have them sent often if you keep up with your classes "'and don't get too many demerits in deportment. "'I missed two boxes last half because of black marks, "'and in French and deportment, too.' That was Piccolet's doing, mean thing. I had no idea that one would be allowed to receive goodies, said Ruth, who of course expected nothing of the kind from home, but did not wish to say so. Well, you want to write your folks that you can receive them right away. A girl who gets things from home can be very popular if she wants to be. Ah, here's the custard. Ruth had difficulty in keeping from laughing outright. She saw plainly that the nearest way to Miss Jenny Stone's heart lay through her stomach. Meanwhile, Helen had become acquainted with the girl on the other side, who had called them infants. But she was a good-natured girl, too, and now Helen introduced her to her chum as Miss Polk. She was a dark-haired, plain-faced girl and wore eyeglasses. She was a junior, and already Helen had found she belonged to the F.C.'s. "'I guess most of the stiff and starched ones belong to that forward club,' whispered Helen to her chum, "'but the jolly ones are upedes.' "'We'll wait and see,' advised Ruth. Supper was over then, and the girls all rose and strolled out of the room in parties. Ruth and Helen made their way quietly to the exit, and looked for the office of the preceptress. The large building with the tower, the original Briarwood Hall, was partly given up to recitations and lecture-rooms, and partly to the uses of the Tellinghams and the teachers. Besides this great building, there were two dormitory buildings, the gymnasium, the library building, and a chapel which had been built only the year before by subscriptions of the graduates of the school and of the parents of the scholars then attending. But it was growing dusk now, and the two friends could not see much of the buildings around the campus. Mrs. Grace Tellingham and her husband, the doctor never by any chance came first in anybody's mind, had started the school some years before in a small way, but it had grown rapidly and was, as we have seen, very popular. 
Many girls were graduated from the institution to the big girls' colleges, for it was, in fact, a preparatory school. The chums went in at the broad door and saw a library at the right hand into which a tidy maid motioned them with a smile. It was a large room, the walls masked by bookshelves, all filled so tightly that it did seem as though room for another book could not be found. But Mrs. Tellingham was not there. Bending over the table, however, and it was a large leather-covered table with a great student lamp in the centre, the shade of which threw a soft glow of light in a circle upon it, was a gentleman whose shoulders were very round and who seemed to be so near-sighted that his nose must have been within an inch or so of the book which he read. He was totally unconscious of the girl's presence, and he read in a half-whisper to himself like a child conning a lesson. Ruth and Helen looked at each other, each thinking the same question. Could this be Dr. Tellingham, the great historian? They glanced again at the hoop-shouldered man, and wondered what his countenance was like, for they could not see a feature of it as he read. But Ruth did notice one most surprising fact. The stooping gentleman wore a wig. It was a brown, rather curly wig, while the fringe of natural hair all around his head was quite white of that yellowish white that proclaims the fact that the hair was once light brown or sandy in colour the brown wig matched the hair at one time without doubt but it now looked as though two gentlemen's heads had been merged in one the younger gentleman's being the upper half of the present apparition for several minutes the chums stood timidly in the room and the old gentleman went on whispering to himself and occasionally nodding his head but at length he looked up, and in doing this he saw the girls and revealed his own countenance. Aha! he ejaculated and stood upright. He was not a small man, but he was very bony. He had a big, long, smoothly shaven face, on which his beard had sprouted in patches only, and these shaven patches were grey, whereas the rest of his face was smooth and dead white. Indeed, he had so much face and it was so bold that if the brown wig had chanced to tumble off, Ruth thought that his appearance would have been actually terrifying. "'Aha!' he said again, and smiled not unkindly. The thick spectacles he wore hid his eyes, however, and to look into his face was like looking at the white wall of a house with the windows all shuttered. "'You want something!' He said it as though he had made a most profound discovery. Indeed, they found afterward that Dr. Tellingham always spoke as though he were pronouncing a valedictory oration, or something quite as important as that. The doctor never could say anything lightly. His mind was given up entirely to deep subjects, and it seldom strayed from his work. "'You want something,' he repeated. "'Stop. Never mind explaining. I shouldn't be able to aid you. Mrs. Tellingham, my wife, my dears, will be here anon.' At once he bobbed down his head, revealing nothing to the eyes of the two girls but the brown wig and the hair that didn't match, and went on whispering to himself. Helen and Ruth exchanged glances, and Helen had difficulty in keeping from laughing outright. In a moment more, Mrs. Tellingham came into the room. At close view, Ruth saw that she was even more attractive than she had seemed at a distance. Her countenance was firm without being stern, the humour about the mouth relieved its set expression. "'My dear, my dear!' ejaculated the doctor, raising his head so that the long, bold expanse of his face 
came into view again for a moment. "'Somebody to see you. Somebody wants something.' Mrs. Tellingham approached Helen first and took her hand. Her hand-clasp was firm, her manner one to put the girl at her ease. "'You are Mr. Macy Cameron's daughter?' she questioned. "'We are glad to see you here. You have found your room?' "'Yes, Mrs. Tellingham,' replied Helen. The preceptress turned to Ruth and shook hands with her. "'And you are Ruth Fielding?' "'Do as well this first half as your last teacher tells me you did, "'and we shall be good friends. "'Now, girls, sit down. Let us talk a bit.' "'She had a quick, bright way of speaking, "'yet her words were not wasted, nor her time. "'She did not talk idly. "'Nor did the two chums have much to say but yes and no. "'In the course of her remarks, she said, "'This is your first experience, I understand, "'away from home and in a school of this character. "'Yes?' Ah, then, many things will be new and strange to you, as well as hard to bear at first. Among two hundred girls there are bound to be girls of a good many different kinds, she smiled. You will find some thoughtless and careless, forgetting what they have been sent to school for. Avoid that class. They will not aid you in your own intention to stand well in the classes. Keep before you the fact that your friends have sent you here for improvement, not to kill time. All girls like fun. I hope you will find plenty of innocent amusement here. I want all my girls happy and content. Use the advantages of our gym. Join the walking club. We make a point of having one of the best basketball teams in this part of the state. Tennis is a splendid exercise for girls, and we have an indoor as well as outdoor courts. Yes, do not neglect the good times, but remember, too, that amusement isn't the main issue of life at Briarwood Hall. Let nothing interfere with the study hour. Keep the rules. We strive to have as few as possible, so that there may be less temptation to break them. And the preceptress smiled her quick, understanding smile again. By the way, there are social clubs in the school. Tonight, have you been invited to any gathering? Both the forward club and the up and doings have invited us to attend their meetings, said Ruth quietly. Ah! "'We are going to the up and doings, Mrs. Tellingham,' said Helen. "'Ah!' was again the lady's comment, and they learned nothing from her countenance. Nevertheless, Ruth thought it better to explain. "'We were very kindly received by Miss Cox, and shown our room by her, "'and she invited us to her club first of all. "'Indeed. We shall be glad to have you come to our club, too, "'before you make up your minds to join any,' said Mrs. Tellingham with an accent on one word that made both Ruth and Helen mark it well. The F.C.'s were plainly approved by the preceptress. There, she continued, nodding smilingly at the chums, I am sure we shall get on together. You will become acquainted with both your schoolfellows and your instructors in course of time. There are not so many at Briarwood Hall, but that we are still one great family. One thing girls come away from home for, to an institution like this, is to learn self-control and self-government if you need help if you need help do not be afraid to go to your instructors or come to me confide in us but on the other hand you must learn to judge for yourselves we do not punish an act of wrong judgment here at briarwood and so the preceptress bade them good evening isn't she nice whispered ruth as she and helen made their exit from the room yes admitted her chum but you can see she is dreadfully bossy. At that, Ruth laughed heartily. 
"'You foolish child,' she said, shaking her chum a little. "'Isn't she here, to boss? "'My goodness, you didn't expect to do just as you pleased here at Briarwood, did you?' Helen Cameron had been used to having her own way a good deal. Being naturally a sweet-tempered girl, she was not much spoiled. But Mrs. Murchison had been unable to be very strict with the twins when Mr. Cameron was so indulgent himself. Mary Cox and Heavy Stone were waiting on the steps for the friends as they came out. There was another group of girls on the path, too, who eyed Ruth and Helen interestedly as the latter came down the steps with the two junior girls. "'The fox has been in the poultry-yard again and has caught two chickabiddies,' laughed one of these idle girls. Ruth flushed, but Helen did not hear the jibe, being much interested in what Mary Cox was saying to her. Ruth walked beside the good-natured Jenny Stone. "'My, my!' chuckled that damsel. "'Aren't those fussy curls jealous? "'They had to take the teachers into their old club "'so as to be more numerous than the Upedes. "'But I guess Mary Cox will show them. "'She is a fox, and I guess she always will be.' "'Is that what they call Miss Cox?' asked Ruth, not a little troubled. "'Oh, she's foxy, all right,' said the rather slangy young lady. "'She will beat the fussy curls every time.' "'She is president of the Upedes, you know.' Ruth was still troubled, and she hastened to say, "'You know, we haven't been asked to join the club, Miss Stone, "'and my chum and I are not sure that we wish to join any of the school clubs at first. "'We... we want to look around us, you know.' "'That's all right,' said Jenny Stone cordially. "'You'll be put up for membership when you want to be. "'But we'll show you some fun. "'No use getting in with those pokey FCs. "'You'll never have a bit of fun if you train with them.' They went back to the building in which they had supped, and upstairs to one of the assembly rooms. The stairway and hall were well filled with girls now, and several of them nodded smilingly to Ruth and Helen, but their escorts did not let the chums stop at all, ushering them at once into the room where the up-and-doing clan was gathering. Mary Cox left Heavy to introduce the newcomers, while she went at once to the rostrum, and with two or three of the other girls, who were evidently officers of the club likewise, held a short executive session in secret. By and by, Mary rapped on the desk for order, and the girls all took seats. Ruth, who was watchful, saw that the company numbered scarcely a score. If these were all the members of the club, she wondered how many of the Briarwood girls belonged to the rival association. The meeting, as far as the business went, was conducted briskly, and to the point. Then it was thrown open, and everybody but the visitors talked just as they pleased. Helen and Ruth were made to feel at home, and the girls were most lively and good-natured. They heard that the Upedes were to have a picnic at the Grove upon the shore of Lake Triton on the Saturday week, and that old Dolliver and his ramshackle stage and another vehicle of the same calibre were engaged for the trip. "'But beware of black marks, girls,' warned Mary Cox. "'Picolet will be watching us, and you know that, this early in the term, two black marks will mean an order to remain on the school premises. "'The old cat will catch us, if she can.' "'Mean little thing,' said Heavy, wheezily. "'I wish anybody but Miss Picolet lived in our house.' From this, Ruth judged that most of these up-and-doings were in the dormitory in which she and Helen were billeted.' "'I don't see what Mrs. Tellingham keeps Picolet for,' complained another girl. "'For a spy,' snapped Mary Cox. "'But we'll get the best of her yet. "'She isn't fit to be a teacher in this school, anyway.' 
"'Oh, she's a good French teacher, of course. "'It's her native tongue,' said one of the other girls, "'who was called Belle Tingley. "'That's all very well,' snapped Mary, "'but there's something secret and underhand about her. "'She claims to have nobody related to her in this country, "'but if the truth were known, I guess, "'she has reason to be ashamed of her family and friends. "'I've heard something.' "'She stopped and looked knowingly at Ruth and Helen.' The former flushed as she remembered the man in the red waistcoat who played the harp aboard the steamboat. But Helen seemed to have forgotten the incident, for she paid no attention to Mary's unfinished suggestion. It worried Ruth, however. She heartily wished that her chum had said nothing to the Cox girl about the man who played the harp and his connection with the little French teacher. End of chapter 7